Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see y'all. It's good to be here on the Lord's Day. You know, I want to give all of you double credit for being here today. Just take, take notes and make sure you get double points. The, uh, you know, it is something that when you, uh, you know, you preach about uh, using the weather as an excuse. And then the very next Sunday, I just want to say, I, Lord, I, I, I pray that everything that comes out of my mouth today is from you. Because he is our God. He's a good, good father. You know, this, this afternoon after our worship time, we're going to gather together and eat together and, and hopefully uh, raise some funds for missions. But there will also be a, a, some desserts that we can share in. Um, today, I, I just want it to be an encouragement to you, this message. An encouragement to you about what God can and will do. You know, I am a blessed man. I'm very thankful for this church. I'm thankful for what happened last week um, in ordaining my son Nathan to the ministry. What a tremendous blessing that is to this dad, and I know to our Heavenly Father as well. But what a, what a, a blessing it is to be a part of a church uh, that loves and nurtures, and just like the song says, calls us deeper and deeper with him. I mean, what a, what a blessing. And, you know, we've been in this study with, with Abraham. And in the 22nd chapter of Genesis, um, there is an account that is often preached about. And it's the sacrifice of Isaac. That, that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, his one and only son. And um, that's, a, that's a mountaintop passage in the Old Testament. And the passage that I share with you today is kind of one of those lesser mountaintops, but it's a mountaintop nonetheless, and it's in the shadow of that mountain. And sometimes it's easy to pass over. But this incident that happens in Abraham's life the 22nd chapter of, of Genesis is, is very famous, and it's one that people have preached on, a lot of sermons. And you have the obedience of Abraham. That when he hears God's voice, and, and God calls him and says, I want you to come and sacrifice the son, the son that I gave you, the son of promise, Abraham goes and obediently does what God has called him to do. In that, he has held nothing back from God. He has given God what God has already given him, really his best. And so God stays his hand. He calls out to him and he says, do not hurt, do not harm the, the, the boy. I will provide, and there was provided a ram in the thicket there that they offered for the burnt offering. You know, this, this remarkable story is a foreshadowing of what we see in the New Testament with Christ, God sending His own Son to Calvary's mountain centuries later. But Abraham's worship in these verses 
are based on a clear word from God. A clear word from God. Verse 1 says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And verse 2 says, He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. God called to him, God said to him, and Abraham found himself engaged in worship of the Almighty because God told him exactly what he wanted. He gave him specific instructions. God told Abraham what to do. And Abraham's worship was based on a clear word from God. You see, true worship is always guided by the word of God. It's always guided by the word of God. Genuine biblical worship is all that I am, responding to all that God is, as he has been revealed in the Bible. Think about this. All that I am, responding to all that he is, as he has been revealed to us in his word. That's genuine worship. In his word, he tells us, God says, he loves me. I'm glad God loves me. God says he sent his son to die for me. For my sins. God says he will never leave me. I like that. God says he will supply all of my needs. God says he is my father. I mean, the list could go on and on about what God has said. But all of these are true about God. When I understand who God is and what he has done for me, I worship him when I respond to his revelation with humility, with gratitude, and with reverence. But you see, the key is the attitude of the heart. I mean, what has been your focus this morning as we worship the Lord? Is it the weather outside? Is it an emotional response? Is it more one of sitting and singing or standing and singing and, and, and hearing the, the preacher's message? How are you responding to all that God is with all that you are? See, God repeatedly comes to his children, speaking words of comfort and commission. I mean, if God only spoke to us once, that would be great. But he comes to us again and again, repeatedly to give fellowship with believers. He doesn't leave us alone. Revelation 3.20 says, look, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open the door, I will come in and dine with him, will sup with him, and he with me. He's pursuing us. He loves us. He repeatedly calls to us. I love this. 
Because our, de- our text declares that the angel of the Lord came to Abraham a second time. Look in verse 15 of chapter 22. It says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, I indeed I will greatly bless you and will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gates, excuse me, the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So you can be sure that if you are being obedient to the Lord, he's going to come and he's going to speak to you again and again and again. Because he wants you to know his will for your life. He desires you to know that. You remember that the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. It says that that uh, the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You know, he had disobeyed God. He disobeyed his will. He refused to do God's command. And we can rejoice that God did not cut Jonah off completely. But he gave him a second chance. I'm glad that we serve a God of second chances. The Apostle Peter, he received a second opportunity and commission from God. You think about John chapter 21. Peter openly denied the Lord. But after the resurrection, Jesus gave Peter a three-fold opportunity to reveal his love and accept a new commission. That's the kind of God we serve, a God of second chances. See, our text this morning, it tells us that the Lord, says the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. That's the second time in this passage. If you back up to, um, to verse 11, it says, But the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven. So this is the second time. And the Lord's coming to Abraham was different than him coming to Jonah or to Peter. The Lord came to Abraham to express his approval to Abraham. To express his approval and to assure his promises concerning Abraham's future. You see, Abraham had had proven his faith by his willingness to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. God asked me to do this, so I'm going to do it. That's called obedience. When God asks us to do something, and we do it. That's obedience. See, Abraham had obeyed the clear command of God, and Abraham gave his very best to God. This was the child of promise. This was the child that he waited so long for. And now God is asking to give him back. See, God will come again and again to speak his words of identification, of approval and commission to those who give themselves to him. He doesn't leave you out there by yourself. He doesn't put you out on a limb and leave you there. He speaks to you and he confirms his will in your life and in mine. See, even after this last minute rescue, if you will, of Isaac, the word of the Lord comes again. This is huge in the life of Abraham. 
Because we have in Genesis, we have eight occasions, eight occasions where God speaks to Abraham. And you need to understand something. This is the eighth of the eight. This is the last time that God speaks to Abraham in Scripture. I think that's huge. This speech from the angel of the Lord follows up what has happened. And he reiterates the very promise that God made to Abram in the first place. Back in Genesis chapter 12. And it's very interesting to me that the first word that God gave to Abram is also the last word that he gave to Abram. But in a little different way. He says here, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. (laughs) See, Abram had a history with God. He'd been serving the Lord. He'd been worshiping Him. He'd been obedient. He, He knew God's voice and he could hear God's voice. He was familiar with it because he had been walking with Him. You see, the first thing that he spoke to him was a little different than the last thing, but it was the same thing. And I I say that because Abraham received it differently because he had been spending time with God. In Genesis chapter 12, he says, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will will make your descendants as the the, the stars in the sky, the sand in the seashore. I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. He says that same thing here. But what a difference a long walk with God makes. He hears it in his, and and I want to give attention to this this morning. See, my point is simply this, is that the Lord is concerned about our assurance of his saving promises. God cares that you know that you are saved. He gives you those assurances. He's concerned about that. The assurance of your salvation, of the hope that we, the, that we rest upon. See, the reason that the angel speaks again is to drive home the point to Abraham. To give Abraham assurance about the certainty of the covenant promises God had given to him back in Genesis chapter 12. So consider with me these four salient points from our passage Notice that God reiterates his blessing to Abraham. In verse 15, by myself, excuse me, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and you have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly or surely bless you. Now, what does that remind you of? It reminds you of back in Genesis 12, where he's taken out of his father's country and out of his father's house, and God says he will show him. He says, says, I will bless you. I will take you to a land that I will show you, and I will bless you. In other words, it's a great confirmation of God's unchanging purposes and his covenant favor towards Abraham. Secondly, he says, I will greatly multiply your seed. Again, Genesis 12, confirmation that God's promise to Abraham that he will be the father of nations. 
Third, he says, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. I think that's, that's interesting. The end of verse 17 says that. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. I mean, not only is he forecasting or predicting here the, the foreshadowing, the, the conquest of Canaan. Okay? Your descendants are going to take over this land. He's not only pointing also to the church receiving the inheritance of the whole world. But he's also saying Jesus is going to be conquering all of our enemies and his. I mean, what was it that Jesus said in Matthew 16? In response to Peter's profession of him as the Christ, he said, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Do you see the connection with the promise? Your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. We also see the promise reiterated that in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We see this, that not only that Abraham would be a blessing, but that others would be blessed by him. I think this is, this is big stuff, because God reiterates his blessing to Abraham. But now Abraham is in a unique position to receive that, to believe God's blessings. Why? Because year after year, year after year, through times when it seems like God had forgotten his promises... In times when God had miraculously provided for Abraham. In those lean times. When he didn't see God's hand of provision. And in the immediate way in our text where God spared Abraham's own son. Abraham's ears and his heart have never been opened to believe God's word like it has right here. When you've given your best to God, when you recognize that you have a history with God and that you've been walking with God for quite some time, you can trust that His promises are true. And when God's Word comes to you a second time, you got ears to hear and a heart to listen because of that obedience. I mean, now Abram has a son. He promised he would be the father of many nations. He's been given that son by God. And God commands him to offer that son as a sacrifice. And the son is given back to him as from death. And Abraham has reason to trust that nothing will keep the promises of God from coming to pass towards him. If he can bring my son back from the dead, if he can save him from that, he can take care of any problem that I have. There is no reason why I should not completely trust the promises of God. I've walked with him all these years. I've seen what he's able to do, and I know that he is for me. I trust him completely. Look at Abraham's obedience. Now listen closely and don't hear what I'm not saying. 
Abraham's obedience becomes the instrument of God's assurance to him. Abraham's obedience becomes the instrument of God's assurance to him. Abraham's obedience does not merit for him to uh, acceptance with God. God does not accept him because he is obedient. God chose him. God put him aside. God set him apart. But it's Abram's obedience that is the instrument that God uh, gives his assurance to him. Abraham's obedience does not add to his faith so that it's faith and obedience that makes God accept him. You see, the Lord uses Abram's obedience as his means of assuring Abraham. Of letting Abraham know you can trust You can believe my promises. Since Abraham believes God and offers up Isaac and does not withhold him, then God provides the substitute and it sets the context in which God will now assure Abraham of the certainty of his purposes towards him. In other words, the reward of Abraham's obedience here, the reward of Abraham's obedience is his assurance. And the Lord honors him by reaffirming and expanding his covenant commitments to him. This is important for us to realize because when we are disobedient in the Christian life, our assurance suffers. Because obedience is the instrument and context in which God wants to build up our assurance of his mercies. His mercies are not based on our assurance in any way. I didn't do anything to receive salvation. Jesus did it all for me. All I did was believe on him. I think this is big. Because our obedience is not the ground for God's mercy toward us. And it's not the cause of our assurance. But it is the instrument that God uses... So often in order to encourage us in our Christian life. I mean, when we've been faithful to him in the good times and the bad times, God's going to use that growth of grace in our life and it's going to accrue. And in context of our walking with him, God will use that as the fertile ground in which he can assure our souls that his promises are true and that he can comfort and save us for all eternity. We know that he can, but our obedience gives him the opportunity to assure us in that. You see, that's what we see with Abraham here. His obedience serves as the context in which God will grant him these beautiful words of assurance. Remember, as far as we can tell, this is the last time that God speaks to Abraham on earth. Wouldn't you like to know that the last words that God speaks to you is, I will surely bless you. I will greatly bless you. And so God leaves Abraham for the rest of his life with this final word of assurance. And it probably went something like this. Abraham, I'm swearing by myself. You are not going to be the basis of the certainty of my promises. I'm going to be the basis of the certainty of my promises. 
Yes, Abraham, your obedience has provided a glorious context in which I'm going to give you that assurance. But ultimately, your assurance does not rest on you. It rests on me having sworn by myself. See, God assures Abraham of the certainty of his covenant promises through the word of the angel. Now, there's one more thing here, and I want to follow up in the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews, the writer, is wanting to impress truth on the reader's mind. And so over in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, and follow closely. It says, For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath, so that by two Interchange, excuse me, that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Listen, God in his loving kindness to us, his desire is to assure us, not only to give us a word of promise, but to that promise he also adds an oath. He promises it, and then he, he says, Basically, so help me God. An oath like we would give. He says, I have sworn by myself. But God doesn't take an oath the same reason we would take an oath. I mean, why do we take oaths? Because people aren't trustworthy. Will you testify to the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God. We take an oath because people are untrustworthy. I mean, that's why we have them swear over a Bible. That's why we have them swear an oath when they are in the court of law. is so they can be held accountable if they give testimony that is dishonest. But God is not like man that he should lie. So why does God take an oath? I'll tell you why. Because our faith is weak. And because he loves us. Because he loves you and because your faith is weak, he adds to his word of promise an oath so that by two things, the writer of Hebrews says, by two things, the promise and the oath. See, the additional purpose here of the writer of Hebrews is to to point to the fact that Jesus himself is the fulfiller of this promise that God has given to Abraham. We sang a song this morning. The solid rock. 
You know what the third stanza of that song says? It says this. It says, His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. See, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us that God's oath, His covenant, promise, the blood of Jesus Christ, these are the ultimate grounds for our assurance and our salvation. His oath, His promise, and His blood. You can't get any more sure than that. Folks, this is our hope. This is what we base our faith on. His oath, his covenant, promise, and his blood. It's enough for most of us if somebody shakes on it. But he not only shook on it, he swore on it. And he gave his blood for us. See, if we look anywhere else for assurance, we're not going to find it. If we look anywhere else for salvation, we're not going to find it. Because all other ground is sinking sand. So God in Genesis chapter 22 is pointing to you. He's pointing to you that the only one who can save you is Jesus the Messiah. That's what he's saying. 